G'day, 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 and welcome everyone. That's our resident scaredy cat, Kate. And that's the horror junkie, Dominic. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about some scary stuff. The sort of fear your asshole knows about. As always, subscribe, rate, and review us. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Shit and Bricks Podcast. All right, drop your dax, pop a squat, and let's get into it. Hi, Cousin Kate. Hi, Cousin Dominic. How are your beetroots? <laughs> oh, no, my beetroots are great. I was just thinking, imagine if I said something really weird, like you were like, hi, Cousin Kate, and I was like, hi, Brother Dominic. Like, be... <laughs> no, I'm carrots in your beetroots. Correct, I am beetroots. Um, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, I'm frustrated by my camera. It's not even a filter, it's just what it looks like, and I look like a beetroot, so I've been distressed about that all day, and Dom's been taking me through some cognitive behavioral therapies to try to <laughs> re-energize my synapses so that I'm able to get through this pod. So thank you so much. Oh Lord. I doubt anyone would ever pay me to be their therapist though. You get a couple of bevies in me and I sure as hell shit think I'm the next Oprah. I love it. That's why. I, yeah. I mean, we have had a mini therapy session prior to this. Um, so I'm really, I'm feeling much better. I'm really excited about today's story. Uh, yeah. I'm here for it. Well, I'm glad you're feeling, uh, you know, psychologically safe and strong at the moment because I'm about to tear you down into smithereens because this story is evil incarnate. (laughs) I'm really excited because I know we said in a, you know, you mentioned in in a previous episode that we, we feel like we've been too safe. Let's just get our listeners and lull them to a false sense of security and then just fuck them up. Yeah. And that's what you're going to do today. And I cannot wait. Yeah. You've all had it easy. We've been playing it nice. I have dug up a good old fashioned just horror story of a human being. So please, you are warned if blood, gore, guts, um, rape, all the worst things in the world, which we know are serious... (laughs) you're about to get the full spectrum of it in one single story you're warned please actually keep listening don't don't log off (laughs) yeah just just listen but just just know that that's going to happen that's all you don't have to like it but listen all the way and then subscribe to us and then follow us on all our socials and like it's simple it's such a simple solution Absolutely. <laughs> so as as now we've sold this as the greatest story of all time. Uh, <laughs> and then you're like, there was this guy, Billy Bob from the mountains, and he liked to eat fresh beef that he grew on his farm. The end. Done. <laughs> <laughs> and he grew beetroots. Yeah. And that's what I eat purely, apparently, <clears throat> to turn out looking like this. All right, Kate, so here we go. This is the absolute horror story of uh, Hamilton Howard, or also known as Albert Fish. Okay. Okay? Yep. Now, Albert Fish was born in Washington, D.C. on May 19th, 1870, so back in the day. Mm-hmm. And he was also known as the Grey Man, the Werewolf of Wisteria, the Brooklyn Vampire, the Moon Maniac, and probably most famously as the original Boogeyman. Ooh, OG. Mm-hmm. OGBM. Absolutely. Mm, makes it sound like bowel movement. I'm, it's okay. <laughs> We're all here for that. We're all Shitty here for bricks. <laughs> Shitty bricks. We are the OGBM podcast. So, yep. boom. 
Now, Fish once boasted that he had children in every state and at one time stated his number of victims was about 100. However, it is not known whether he was referring to rapes or cannibalization, nor is it known if the statement was truthful whatsoever. We all know that people like this love to uh, embellish and claim all sorts of things, which makes them really unreliable. Um, his crimes were dramatized in the 2000 and fil- 2000 and film. Yeah. <laughs> I love the 2000 and film. That's Stroke good. Stroke number one for today. <laughs> uh, his crimes were dramatized in the 2007 film, The Grey Man, starring Patrick Bachow, Bachow, Bachow. Both. Yeah. Yep. As Albert Fish. So okay. go watch that. I know you love a bit of movie trivia, Kate. Well, I do. We I love do. a bit of movie. Have you seen that? Out no, of interest? I okay. have not. I wanted to do all of this research and, and everything and do the story. And then I was going to treat myself and watch it if I honestly had the stomach for it. <laughs> exactly. By the like sense that, you know, yeah, what you were talking about. I don't think it's not making me want to watch it, but hey, we'll see what happens. Here we go. So let's do a bit of childhood, shall we? Let's find out where Fish comes from. Please. That's where they all get fucked up. So let's see what happened there. Yeah. So Fish's father was American of English ancestry and his mother was Scots-Irish American. Uh, His father was 43 years old, sorry, 43 years older than his mother and 75 years old at the time of Albert Fish's birth. Wow. Dad D. Dad E. My grandpappy. Like, yeah. he's he old. I'm not being ageist, that's, but in the spectrum of what we're talking about. Damn. Yeah. Be buying diapers together. How lovely. <laughs> it's a bonding now, activity. Yeah. Now, Fish was the youngest child and had three living siblings. I never understood what that meant, but I'm assuming that he had some that had died. You know, okay. opposite of living. Um, <laughs> gotcha. Uh, those... You learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, now, his three siblings were Walter, Annie and Edwin. Uh, but he wished to be known as Albert after a dead sibling and to escape the nickname Ham and Eggs that he was given at an orphanage in which he spent much of his childhood. So he chose the name Albert. Um, okay. All right. Did ha- Ham and Eggs just didn't do it for him? No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Green eggs was taken. <laughs> now, Fisher's family had a history of mental illness. Uh, his uncle suffered from mania. One of his brothers was confined in a state mental hospital, which Kate's done a lovely episode on. Go back and watch it. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe even listen too. I mean, either or. <laughs> However you digest a podcast, preferably listen, yeah. but whatever. Uh, And his sister Annie was diagnosed with a mental affliction, you know, whatever the fuck that means, because obviously back in the day they knew nothing. Yeah. Three other relatives were diagnosed with mental illnesses and his mother had an oral and or visual hallucinations. So. Okay. Yeah, not great. Yeah, the environment's not the most conducive to a maybe a happy upbringing. Mm. Now, Fisher's father, 75-year-old Randall, was a riverboat captain. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, you're screwed if your dad's a riverboat captain. Shit's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, But by 1870, uh, he became a fertilizer manufacturer. Excellent. Mm. Now, the elder fish, (laughs) the elder fish, I love this. (laughs) The elder fish died in 1875 at Washington's 6th Street Station of a heart attack. 
Um, the Congressional Cemetery records showed that he died on October 16th, 1875, and was buried on October 19th, 1875, in whatever grave it was, who really cares? Fisher's mother then put her son into St. John's Orphanage in Washington, where he was frequently abused. So mother was not well. Uh, mm -hmm. She put Albert, obviously, into an orphanage because she didn't think she could take care of him, which, look, possibly a great uh, <clears throat> kindness that could normally be done, but maybe orphanages at this time, not the greatest place. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Now, Fish began to enjoy the physical pain, he says, and the beatings that, uh, that were brought upon him. Uh, of his time at the orphanage, Fish remarked, I was there till I was nearly nine, and that's where I got started wrong. We were unmercifully whipped. I saw boys doing many things they should not have done. Mm. This guy, sometimes, like, I understand we're going to get to the point where I'm going to be completely repulsed by this guy, but as a nine-year-old kid... You got to be like, this sucks. You've really had a rough start. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing can take that away. Mm. Right? Now, by 1880, so that's five years after his father has passed away and probably when he was first put into the orphanage, Fisher's mother had a government job and was able to remove Fish from the orphanage. In 1882, at age 12, he began a relationship with a telegraph boy. The youth introduced fish to such practices as urogenia, drinking urine, okay. and coprophagia, eating feces. Okay. Fish began visiting public baths where he could watch other boys undress and spent a great portion of his weekends uh, on these visits. Throughout his life, he would write obscene letters to women whose names he acquired from classified advertising and matrimonial agencies. So, yeah. Okay, so he was into a bit of everything. Absolutely. Right. Was obviously exposed to certain things that, you know, really most people should never even see or not until you're a hell of a lot older and you can make that choice consensually. Yeah. So this... this this poor Albert Fish from a young age has had a pretty rough start, as you said. That's right. Early adulthood, adulthood and, you know, as his criminal sort of career kicks off, shall we? Mm -hmm. By 1890, at age 20, Fish arrives in New York City. And he said at that point he became a prostitute and began raping young boys. Jesus. In 1898, his mother arranged a marriage for him with a woman named Anna Marie Hoffman, who was nine years his junior, and they ended up having six children together, Albert, Anna, Gertrude, Eugene, John, and Henry. Wow. Hang on. How old was he? So how old would she have been? Okay, great. So she's 11. Mm. No, six years. Oh, Sorry, no, okay. nine years. You're no. right. Nine years, yeah. Is that right? Hang on, 11, 12, yeah. 13, 14, 15. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's 20. Sorry. She's 11 and they mm. had six kids. Yeah, I mean, obviously I... not all at 11, but yes, yeah, all of kicked course. off I... then. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. I don't, I'm also not a police officer, but I don't think that's right. 11-year-old mm. and a 20-year-old. I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. Very different time, not that that excuses anything, but sure. look what his parents, you know, the, the, the 45-year age gap that, yeah. he grew up with that they know um his mother's not well yeah anyway so my heart goes out to anna <clears throat> the mother 
well, you know, the, the woman that he married. Uh, now, throughout 1898, Fish worked as a house painter. Uh, he said he continued molesting children, mostly boys younger than the age of six. He later recounted in an, uh, recounted an incident, incident in which a male lover took him excuse me, to a waxworks museum where Fish was fascinated by a bisection of a penis. So bisection, obviously, it's like cut down the side, uh, down the middle, so you can sort of see the internal workings of it all. Yeah, and okay. it's just a wax model, so it's not a real one, but he was oh. really fascinated by that sort of internal anatomy. Right. <clears throat> Why do I feel like that's going to be important? <laughs> well, after that, he says he became obsessed with sexual mutilation. Mm, okay. In 1903, he was arrested for grand larceny and convicted, uh, and he was incarcerated in Sing Sing. I love that. <laughs> I don't sing it as well as... Uh, the cast uh, of the producers. Yeah, the cast of the producers. Uma Thurman, she sang it well, and of course many yeah. others. But, you know, he's getting his... Well, obviously he's doing a lot of, a lot of evil, horrible things already by this point. A lot point, of weird but, shit. Yeah, there's a know, lot going on for this guy. They, uh, you know, he did have some run-ins with the law as well. So, yep. interesting. Uh, around Just, sorry to interrupt. Is, is grand larceny, that's, is that theft, stealing money? Yeah. Yes. Great, thank you. Yeah. Now, around 1910, while he was working in Wilmington, Delaware, Fish met a 19-year-old man named Thomas Kedden. He took Kedden to where he was staying and the two began a sadomasochistic relationship. It is unclear. Do I need to tell you what sadomasochistic is? Is that like um, doms and subs? Similar. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's down. It's a similar thread, but it's it's a pleasure from sexual pain, and right. there is a dynamic between people, but it's it it takes it a little bit further than right. what okay. you know general sort of BDSM or doms and subs can do. It's to think of it as a spectrum yep. um, of intensity or, or, or activity. Okay. There's lots. It's very colourful and rich. Got you. And would that be a little bit more intense on that yes. spectrum? Right. Okay. Yeah. We're going into the full blowns of everything. Right. Now, it is unclear whether or not Fish forced Kedden to do these things, but in his confession, he implies that the man was intellectually disabled. <gasps> this Thomas no. Kedden. After 10 days, Fish took Kedden to an old farmhouse where he began to torture him. The torture took place over two whole weeks. Fish eventually tied Kedden up and cut off half of his penis. I was, oh my God. I was like, he's going to do that at some point. If he's fascinated by this waxworks, he's going to do it. And there it is. There's Mm -hmm. half the peen. I, and in his words, he says, I shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me. Ugh. I can't imagine he would be thrilled that you've mm. just cut his pecker off. Oh, wowee. Okay. I, I think what throughout this story, what really struck me is we're going to hear a lot of Albert Fisher's own recounts of what happened and mm. in his own words, which both is probably too much but I find it really really fascinating because we don't often get to hear such description and such specific things that he enjoyed what he really really liked which I think gives us a lot of insight into the difference between somebody that accidentally hit hit and run somebody or you know this is this is a like a such a 
pure example of someone that really is just born bad or born evil or is you know yeah has no um, no empathy or emotion and, and, and there's just no too. limits by yeah. the sound of it there's just morbid fascination and will do whatever and mm. doesn't yeah as you say no empathy and no yeah i find it much much more fascinating if you do hear the rec- the, the account of the person that committed yeah. the crimes because people can speculate and talk and say these were the facts of the you know the crime but if you're hearing it from the person who who did it yeah you kind of really know how could you do that like why did you do that and so yeah i'm i'm yeah and we can never you know we just we're just not people that can relate or understand but it it, i mean i hope not if you're listening to this and you're feeling like you can relate please think about it triple zero yeah (laughs) yeah something yeah uh, he says he originally intended to kill Kedden, cut up his body and take it home, but he feared the hot weather would draw attention to him. So instead, Fish poured peroxide over the wound, wrapped it in a Vaseline-covered handkerchief, left a $10 bill, kissed Kedden goodbye and left. He said he took the first train I could to get back home. I never heard what became of him or tried to find out. So, so- Thomas survived this encounter, but... Oh, my God. Mm. So just left him in a barn. Look, I'm really busy. Here's 10 bucks. So if you want to get a taxi uh, or something, you know, whatever. Take this $10. It's my treat. Yeah. Holy moly. Wow, and we're just okay. at the beginning, okay? So. I know. That's what I'm like now getting slightly concerned about. Mm. <laughs> so just at the start. Now, in January 1917, Fisher's wife left him for a man named John Strobe, a handyman who boarded with the Fish family. Fish then had to raise his children as a single parent. So she left without the kids, not with them. Uh, After his arrest, Fish told a newspaper that when his wife left him, she took nearly every possession the family owned. Uh, He began to have auditory hallucinations And he once wrapped himself in a carpet saying that he was following the instructions of John the Apostle. Okay. Mm. Was John the Apostle into carpets? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) He was into people wrapping themselves in carpets. Carpets, carpets. It's madness. It's It's absolutely crazy. (laughs) Get out of that carpet, Albert. Uh, It was about this time that Fish began to indulge in self-harm. He would embed needles into his groin and abdomen. After his arrest, x-rays revealed that Fish had at least 29 needles lodged in his pelvic region. He also hit himself repeatedly with a nail-studded paddle and inserted wool doused with lighter fluid into his anus and set it alight. Wow. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry, that's not funny, but your face then was like... I was just trying to process that a little bit. Oh, my goodness. That's not pleasant. No. Now, I don't have a photo of that exact one, but I do have a photo of the paddle that he beat himself with. And I also have a photo of the pelvic x-ray that they took with all the needles that they found in his body, which will be shared on our socials. So please go find it if you dare. If you dare. Mm. Morbid fascination. I must see it. Yeah. Now, while Fish was never thought to have physically attacked or abused his children, his own, you know, biological children, he did encourage them and their friends to paddle his buttocks with the same nail-studded paddle he used to abuse himself. 
He soon developed a growing obsession with cannibalism as well, often preparing himself a dinner consisting solely of raw meat and sometimes even serving it to his children. There's no limits. I'm really, I'm starting to understand this now. There is no limits for this person. Yeah, exactly. And you almost become numb to it. I like, I read this just going, is this too much? And jokes aside, I was like, oh, you know, I've done some, some pretty lighthearted ish type, more fear focused stories recently, but I don't think I've I've ever heard of quite a story like this before. Mm. Um, And I kind of wanted to just go full hog from the start. So we can, we don't need to dwell on the, on the, on the the horrible pieces, but um, definitely. I, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I want to see where it goes. I like, we've started at like a hundred. Yeah. How that, well, that's what I would think is a hundred. But, you know, I suspect that there's more from Albert. Yes, well, things escalate now. So in about 1919, Fish stabbed an intellectually disabled boy in Georgetown, Washington, D.C. He chose people who were either mentally handicapped. I don't know how I feel about using that word anymore, but I'm just going by what was initially found in this article. I just Mm -hmm. wanted to call that out. Um, Or African-Americans as his victims, explaining that he assumed these people would not be missed when killed. I think this is a very representational, like good representation of some people at that time um, Mm -hmm. and just the misunderstanding, lack of knowledge. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Uh, Fish would later claim to have occasionally paid boys to procure other children for him. Uh, Fish tortured, mutilated and uh, murdered young children with his implements of hell, they were called, which consisted of a meat cleaver, a butcher knife and a small handsaw. None of those should be used on people. No, ever. Now, on July 11th, 1924, Fish found eight-year-old Beatrice Keel playing alone on her parents' farm on Staten Island, New York. He offered her money to come and help him look for rhubarb. She was about to leave the farm when her mother chased Fish away. Fish left but returned later to the Keel's barn where he tried to sleep but was discovered by Beatrice's father and forced to leave. Thank goodness. Uh, three days later, Fish killed Francis McDonnell, also on Staten Island. Uh, during 1924, the 50-year-old Fish, suffering from psychosis, felt that God was commanding him to torture and sexually mutilate children. So he's just going on I a mean, bit of a rampage. And look, whoever your God is or whatever your beliefs are, I don't think that they would say that. I really mm. don't think that a God would say, can you please do these absolutely horrific things that's yeah. more of a, a devil thing to me but even then don't listen don't do it mm. oh. now shortly before his abduction of grace bud now we'll come back to grace bud grace bud's kind of a key figure in albert fisher's story okay uh, fish attempted to test his implements of hell on a child he had been molesting named cyril quinn Quinn and his friend were playing a box ball on a sidewalk when Fish uh, asked them if they had eaten lunch. When they said that they had not, he invited them into his apartment for sandwiches. While the two boys were wrestling on Fish's bed, they dislodged his mattress and underneath was a knife, a small handsaw and a meat cleaver. They became very frightened and ran out of the apartment. Mm. Thank goodness. Yeah, I would probably do that too. 
Uh, Fish did remarry in February on February 6th, 1930 in Waterloo, New York to a lady named Estella Wilcox, but divorced only uh, after one week. Oh, okay. Fish was arrested in May 1930 uh, for sending an obscene letter to a woman who answered an advertisement for a maid. Uh, following that arrest and one in 1931, he was sent to Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital for observation. And we all know Bellevue. Sure. Bellevue. Look, actually, we should do an episode just on Bellevue and the people that have been there because it is, you know. It's the who's who. Yep. The who's who of cuckoo. <laughs> That's who it is. <laughs> Put that as the uh, uh, title of the episode. Yes, who's absolutely. Who. I need to write that down. The who's who of cuckoo. cuckoo. God, it just comes to me. Mm. Oh. You are genius, Kate. I've said it all <laughs> along. <laughs> I think I just need it. I think my brain had just like, I don't know, it was starting to, um, I don't know, shut down mm. based on <laughs> thinking about some of these things, things that Albie Fish is conducting. So... It just came out of my subconscious. Mm. All right. Now, let's let's move on to the murder of Grace Budd. All right. Okay. I mentioned that she was a key figure in this story. So let's get into it. Uh, on May 25th, 1928. So we're going slightly back in time. Uh, this was before he was admitted into Bellevue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fish saw a classified advertisement in the Sunday edition of the New York World that read, Young man, 18, wishes position in country. Edward Budd address. Uh, And on May 28th, Fish, then 58 years old, visited the Budd family in Manhattan under the pretense of hiring this Edward, who took out the the advertisement. He later confessed that he planned to tie Edward up, mutilate him and leave him to bleed to death. Uh, Fish introduced himself as Frank Howard, a farmer from Farmingdale, New York. He promised to hire Bud and his friend Willie and said he would send for them in a few days. Uh, Fish failed to show up, but he sent a telegram to the Bud family apologising and set a later date. Right. Now, when Fish returned, he met Edward's younger sister, Grace Bud. Mm-hmm. He apparently changed his intended victim from Edward to Grace and quickly made up a story about having to attend his niece's birthday party. Uh, he convinced the parents, Delia Flanagan and Albert Budd, uh, I, to let Grace accompany him to the party that evening. The elder, elder Albert Budd, was a porter for the United States Equitable Life Assurance Society, I don't know why I decided to include that bit, but I just thought I'd just let you know. Yeah, Um, in case anyone was wondering. (laughs) Yeah, what was Albert Budd up to? This is a long story, folks. So I have like, I have gotten so many sources for this and chopped and changed things. So there's some, there might be some redundant or superfluous info here. That's okay. But Um, we've got Grace Budd going to the niece's party. That's right. Because that's not sus at all. That's That's totally fine. A grown man taking another kid to a kid's birthday party that they've never met no worries Mm. now grace uh edward and grace they had a younger sister as well beatrice and they also had two older brothers um so edward was one of them and george albert by the second um was uh, a younger brother so it was quite a big family there was there was a Mm. lot of them and lots of albert buds yes there's Mm -hmm. lots of alberts around (laughs) uh now grace did end up leaving with fish that day but he but she would never return 
Now, the police arrested 66-year-old Superintendent Charles Edward Pope on September 5th, 1930 as a suspect in Grace's disappearance. Um, and uh, this Charles Edward Pope was accused by Pope's estranged wife and he ended up spending 108 days in jail between his arrest and trial. Um, but he was later found not guilty. Mm, okay. So, interestingly, that... You know, this total stranger, Albert Fish, they'd only met him twice, had agreed to take Grace away. Um, she goes missing and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't immediately suspected. It was this other, you know, well and truly disturbed person. But um, anyway. Yeah. Golly. Okay. Now, we know that our friend Albert Fish loves to write letters. He does, just to anybody who'll listen. Mm-hmm. And the more explicit and disgusting, the better. Now, a letter was written to the mother of Grace Bud, Delia, Great. if you remember. Yes. Uh, in November 1934, an anonymous letter was sent to Grace's parents, which ultimately led the police to fish. Uh, Mrs. Bud was illiterate and could not read the letter herself, so she had her son read it to her. Yeah. Uh, the unaltered letter, complete with Fish's misspellings and grammatical errors, reads as the following. Oh, no. Okay. All right. My dear Mrs. Budd, in 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the steamer Tacoma uh, uh, with Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At the time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was from $1 to $3 a pound. So great was the suffering among the very poor that all children under 12 were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops or stew meat. Part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body, and sold as a veal cutlet, brought the highest price. John said there was there stayed there so long he acquired a taste for human flesh. And on his return to New York, he stole two boys, one seven and one eleven, took them to his home, stripped them naked, tied them in a closet, then burned everything they had on. Several times a day and night, he spanked them, tortured them to make their meat good and tender. First, he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the fattest ass and, of course, the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except the head, bones and guts. He was roasted in the oven. All of his ass boiled, broiled, fried and stewed. The little boy was next, went the same way. At the time, I was living at blah, 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 address right beside. He told me so often how good human flesh was, and I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, June the 3rd, 1928, I called on you at such address, bought you pot cheese and strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of taking her to a party. You said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I had already picked out. 
When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers and I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When all was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in a closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run down the stairs. I grabbed her and said she would tell her mum, I would tell her mama. First, I stripped her naked. How she did kick, bite and scratch. I choked her to death, then cut her in small pieces so I could take my meat to my rooms, cook it and eat it. How sweet and tender her little ass was roasted in the oven. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. Oh my God. I did not fuck her though. I could have, had I wished, she died a virgin. Mm. That makes me feel ill. I'm sorry, was that the, is there more? No, that's the end of that letter. Oh, thank God. That's one of the worst things I've ever heard. Yeah. That's disgusting on so many levels. So this is the mum reading, like the son is reading this to the mum. Yeah, that's right. I told you this is, it's it's by far the worst thing I've ever heard (laughs) or ever read. Oh my God. You went in. Mm -hmm. You were not fibbing. So was he, was he like that Hong Kong stuff? Is that true? Look, these are all just letters from him. There's no one's ever gone and, you know. Okay. Confirmed of this of a friend. Like it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Like, oh, it makes me feel sick. (laughs) I think what's the hardest part of all of this is the 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 casualness and the fact that you hear it. It's like listening to the tapes of a murderer talk about the details. And I, you know, all jokes aside, everyone, I I would normally not dwell on these sorts of things but this is really unique to this story yeah I think, definitely i find i really and i actually really enjoyed the way you read it because that's just gives that just you know oh i didn't do i didn't i didn't have i didn't sleep with her though like mm. i could have but i didn't so she's that's all good yeah like why would you even you've just talked about eating her what a, what the fuck like yeah it really just goes to show how not okay this person is yes and that's yeah. what I find fascinating. Very disturbed. Yeah. So obviously the police investigated this letter. Um, the story, as you asked, concerning Captain Davis and the famine, all of that in Hong Kong could never be verified. It obviously wasn't okay. really their priority at the, at the, at the time. Uh, no, yeah. But uh, pretty much everything else of what was said around Grace um, from the little that they could do uh, was... Well and truly confirmed. So oh, great. Now the letter was delivered in an envelope that had a small hexagonal emblem with the letters NYPCBA, representing New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. Mm-hmm. Uh, a janitor at the company told the police he had taken some of the stationery home but left it at his rooming house at blah 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 address when he moved out. Uh, the landlady of the rooming house said that Fish had checked out of that room a few days earlier. She said that Fisher's son sent him money and he asked her to hold his next check for him. Uh, William F. King was the chief investigator for the case. Uh, he waited outside the room until Fish returned. Fish agreed to go to headquarters for questioning, then brandished a razor blade. King disarmed Fish and took him to police headquarters. Uh, Good. 
Fish made no attempt to deny the murder of Grace Bud, saying that he meant to go to the house to kill Grace's brother Edward originally. Perfect. Yeah, Fish said it That's never even... That's a good even, defense. Right. like, I didn't mean to... I, didn't, I never intended on killing Grace. It was just I changed my mind. I was going to kill mm. the boy. And I just, like you said, I can't imagine being the son reading this letter to your mother. I can't oh. imagine being Edward knowing that you were the originally intended victim. Like all yeah. of this is just, uh, there's no words. There's nothing that we can say. If this no, is definitely not. the most heinous thing I've probably yeah. ever read. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Fish made no attempt to deny the murder of Grace Bud. Like I said, he went to go kill uh, Edward. Fish said it never even entered his head to rape the girl, but he laid a claim to his attorney that while kneeling on Grace's chest and strangling her, he did have two involuntary ejaculations. Yeah, okay, cool. So I think... Just, yeah. All of this is stemming right back from that that young age, that connection of pain and sex and pleasure and, and, you know, if that Mm. is all you're taught... Oh, Honestly, if that is all you're taught... How sure. do you know different? Yeah. Yeah. How do you know any any different? Uh, this information was used at trial to make the claim the kidnapping was sexually motivated, thus avoiding any mention of cannibalism, which I just, you know, why? Mm. Put it all out there. Now, there were other crimes discovered after Fisher's arrest. So, Francis McDonald. During the night of July 14th, 1924, a nine-year-old Francis McDonald was reported missing by his parents. He failed to return, return home after playing catch with his friends in the Port Richmond neighborhood of Staten Island. A search was organized and his body was found hanging by a tree in a wooded area near his home. He had been sexually assaulted and then strangled with his suspenders. According to an autopsy, McDonald had also suffered extensive lacerations to his legs and abdomen, and his left hamstring had almost been entirely stripped off its Mm. flesh. Fish refused to claim responsibility for this, although he later stated he intended to castrate the boy, but fled when he heard someone approaching the area. Uh, McDonald's friends told the police that he was taken by an elderly man with a grey moustache, Uh, A neighbour also told the police he observed the boy with a similar-looking man walking along a grassy path into the nearby woods. Frances's mother, Anna MacDonald, said she saw the same man earlier that day. Uh, She told the reporters he came shuffling down the street, mumbling to himself and making queer motions with his hands. Queer, by the way, is not what we know queer to be today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw his thick grey hair and his drooping grey moustache. Everything about him seemed faded and grey, hence the grey man. Yes. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Man, the McDonald murder remained unsolved until the murder of Grace Budd when several eyewitnesses, among them the Staten Island farmer Hans Keel, who we spoke about earlier, yep. positively identified Albert Fish as the odd stranger seen around the area. They did seek an indictment against Fish for the boy's murder. At first, Fish denied the charges. It was only in March 1935 after the conclusion of his trial for Grace Budd and his confession to the killing of Billy Gaffney, which we're about to go through, Mm -hmm. that Fish confirmed to investigators that he also raped and murdered McDonald. So, Great. All right. Billy Gaffney. I, I, I love almost, how you're like going into it. You're like, 
Okay. <laughs> this was the topic I chose. <laughs> I'm going to quickly go through it. I'm not going to read the letter because there is another letter. And to be oh, perfectly God. honest, I'm feeling sick just even. Oh, I don't know if I can actually handle another letter. No. I'm sure. I mean, yeah, we can link it in our socials, though. So if any listeners want to want to yeah. read it. I'm not, gonna, yeah, I'm not going to read this letter aloud, but out of respect to Billy Gaffney and his family, I don't want to gloss over um, yeah, other of vic- victims, but I'll just quickly give you the description. You know, it's not the description, the, the, the points of, of Billy Gaffney, and then we'll move yep. on. No problems. Um, on February 11th, 1927, three-year-old Billy Beaton and his 12-year-old brother were playing in the apartment hallway in Brooklyn with four-year-old Billy Gaffney. Billy and Billy. I like that. Two friends named Billy. Nice. Uh, When the 12-year-old left for his apartment, uh, both younger boys completely disappeared. Uh, Beaton was found later on the roof of the apartments, uh, and when asked what happened to Gaffney, Beaton said the boogeyman took him. Mm. Now, Gaffney's body was never recovered. Uh, Initially, serial killer Peter Kudzanowski was a suspect in the boys' murder. Then Joseph Meehan, a motorman on a Brooklyn trolley, saw a picture of fish in a newspaper and identified him as the old man who he saw on February 11th. The old man had been trying to to quiet a little boy sitting with him on the trolley. Uh, so this is fish, obviously. The boy was not wearing a jacket, was crying for his mother and was dragged by the man on and off the trolley. Beaton's description of the boogeyman matched Albert Fish. Um, so police matched the description of the child to Gaffney. Uh, detectives of the Manhattan Missing Persons Bureau were able to establish that Fish was, em- Fish was employed as a house painter by a Brooklyn real estate company during February that year. Mm. And that on the day of Gaffney's disappearance, he was working at a location just a few miles from where the boy was abdu- abducted. Too convenient. And there follows a letter, which I will not read. Who did he just, sorry, you may have said, who did he send the letter to? Fisher, uh, sorry, Gaffney's mother. Right. Okay. So same MO, like yeah. same. Right. Got you. And I would imagine that it includes the same kind of things. It's even more graphic, to be perfectly Le- honest. He yeah, goes into okay. a lot of detail about what he did with the body and how he ate it. And it's just, Le- okay, I think yeah, we've had we enough, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but we will post the link. Like, yeah, if you want to go for it, go for it. But yeah. um, holy moly. Now, Gaffney's mother, Elizabeth, visited Fish in Sing Sing, accompanied by Detective King and the, and two other men. She wanted to ask him about her son's death. And I, you've got to just... Any mother that can pull themselves together to, you know, do what Elizabeth did, I, I don't know how you do it. Uh, but Fish refused to speak to her. Uh, he began to weep and asked to be left alone. After two hours of asking him questions through his lawyer, James Dempsey, Mrs. Uh, the lawyer, James Dempsey, Mrs. Gaffney just gave up. She was still unconvinced that Fish was her son's killer. So she's not fully... She's not totally on board yeah. with that. Wow. Now, trial and execution. Let's move on, shall we? Let's get to the... <laughs> let's get to the... Um... The there's, part we're all looking no good forward part. to? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I can't even think. There isn't a good part. Wow. All right. So after Albert Fisher's trial for the murder of Grace Budd began on March 11th, 1935 in White Plains, New York, 
Fedrick P. Close presided as judge and Westchester County Chief Assistant District Attorney Albert, not Albert, Albert F. Gallagher. Albert. God, okay. can we get over these? <laughs> Just call yourselves Bert. I love Bert. Bert, Bill, Bob, yeah. done. Now, Fisher's Defence Counsel was James Dempsey, who I mentioned earlier, a former mm-hmm. prosecu- prosecutor and one-time mayor of Pigskill, New York. The trial lasted for 10 days. Fish pleaded insanity. Cool. No shit. Yeah, no shit. No shit. And claimed to have heard voices from God telling him to kill children. Yeah, I uh, don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, several psychiatrists testified about Fish's sexual fetishes, which included sadism, masochism, flagellation. The list just honestly goes just on. There's anything so many. that you like, literally, just get a dartboard of every term <laughs> for any of those discuss. Like, you know, th- what do I feel like dis- today? Yeah, and not disgusting. That's the wrong word because in the right context and the right people, but in terms of his behaviour, like, mm. yeah, just throw a fucking dart at the board. <laughs> what am I doing today? Oh, I'm gonna eat some poo. Mm. Cool. Pop it on the list. Yeah. Oh. I mean, some of the ones that are listed are like exhibitionism and voyeurism and hey, sure. all of do that you... stuff done consensually and everything. Absolutely. Is, that's fine, but, um, yeah, do it. But again, very different time. Mm. Uh, Dempsey in his summation noted that Fish was a psychiatric phenomenon and uh, that nowhere in legal or medical records was there another individual who possessed so many sexual quotation marks, abnormalities. So mm-hmm. it is, you know, this is a horrible story, but it's a really interesting, fascinating uh, culmination of a lot of things. Yeah, um, definitely. The defence's chief expert witness was Frederick Wortham, a psychiatrist with an emphasis on child development who conducted psychiatric examinations for the New York Criminal Courts. During two days of testimony, Wortham explained Fisher's obsession with religion and specifically his preoccupation with the biblical story of Abraham and Isaac. Mm. Wortham said that Fish believed that similarly sacrificing a boy would be penance for his own sins and that even if the act itself was wrong, angels would prevent it if God did not approve. Fish attempted the sacrifice once before but was thwarted when a car drove past. Uh, Edward Budd was the next intended victim, but he turned out to be larger than expected, so he settled on Grace. And although he knew Grace was female, it is believed that Fish perceived her as a boy. Okay, um, so he thinks that's fine. If he goes, if I just imagine that you're a boy. Yeah. Uh, this Worth, guy. Yeah. Now, Wortham then detailed Fish's cannibalism, which in his mind he associated with communion body of Christ. Mm. The last question Dempsey asked Wortham was 15,000 words long. (laughs) You know? Okay. Detailed Fisher's life and ended with asking how the doctor considered his mental condition based on on this life. And Wortham simply answered, he is insane. Gallagher cross-examined Wortham on whether Fisher knew the difference between right and wrong. Uh, He responded that he did not know, but what but that it was perverted knowledge based on uh, his opinions of sin, atonement, and religion, and thus was an insane knowledge, you know. Mm-hmm. And we've spoken about people with schizophrenia and all sorts of things where to them it, mean, it is completely normal, logical, how their brain is functions is very, very different. And mm. we have to at least respect the fact that they, their brains are built differently, so their, their sure. reasoning and logic is... 
sound in their mind. Yeah. After all that, they still ask for two more psychiatrists to support Worthen's findings. Oh, Jesus Christ. Are we not in consensus here? Yeah. Like, can we not just send this guy just to the depths of somewhere and throw away the key? Oh. The first of four rebuttal witnesses was Minas Gregory, the former manager of the Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital where Fish was treated during 1930. He testified that Fish was abnormal but sane. Under cross-examination, Dempsey asked if all the lists of things indicated a sane or insane person. Gregory replied that such a person was not mentally sick and that these were common perversions that were socially perfectly all right and that Fish was no different from millions of other people, some very prominent and successful, who suffered from the very same perversions. There's a whole lot of right and a whole lot of wrong with this, but Mm. anyway. (laughs) Though what I do see, though, is if they – I mean, he's – said that he's insane yeah and they're trying to prove that he's not so that he gets the maximum sentence and doesn't just get put in i i'm I'm on board now yeah i'm on board the next witness was the resident physician at the tombs perry lichtenstein now dempsey objected to a doctor with no training in psychiatry testifying on the issue of sanity but justice close overruled on the basis that the jury could decide the weight to give a prison doctor when asked whether Fisher's uh, causing himself pain indicated a mental condition, Lichtenstein replied, that is not masochism, as he was only punishing himself to get sexual gratification. You know, la-di-da. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> la-di-da. That's a good closing argument. Yeah. <laughs> the next witness, Charles Lambert, testified that Corcoflow, oh, I can't even say all the things, was common practice and that religious cannibalism may be psychopathic but was a matter of taste, quotation marks, (gasps) and not evidence of psychosis. The last witness, James Vavasauer, repeated Lambert's opinion. Another defence witness was Mary Nichols, Fish's 17-year-old stepdaughter. She described how Fish taught her and her brothers and sisters several games involving overtones of masochism and child molestation. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm rushing past this last little bit here, but if you are at all interested in law and criminal law and all of this, it's... He is just such a fascinating case. Yeah. You know, for all of that, if you can put that, if you can put that to the side, if you're into psychology, for instance, whatever it is, it's just Albert Fish is just one of those mega people mm. of, of contradictions and everything. Yeah. And it's yeah, like at right. this time, I don't think people were able to comprehend the full scope of it all. So, yeah. We're almost done. Surprisingly, or not surprisingly, none of the jurors doubted that Fish was insane. But ultimately, as one later explained, they felt he should be executed anyway. Mm. They found him to be sane and guilty, and the judge sentenced the defendant to death by electrocution. So just to clarify, he was not found to be insane. Mm -hmm. They deemed him fully sane, so therefore he could be executed with a full weight. Good result. Mm. I've got mixed feelings about that. I get it, but I don't, you know, I think, I mean, look, when I say good result, I think it's a good result that he was found sane. It could be, you know, sentenced to the maximum penalty. Don't necessarily agree on electrocuting people, 
but maximum penalties and yeah the fact that then his victims families and things like that wouldn't be like oh he was just absolutely bonkers like you know poor guy Hmm. it's it's no we've judged him sane and he's getting the max uh so that's a good result but i don't disagree yeah. yeah i don't don't love the idea of death penalty now, Fish arrived at prison in March 1935 and he was execu- executed on January, 19- January 16th, 1936 in the electric chair at Sing Sing. Mm-hmm. He entered the chamber at 11.06pm and was pronounced dead three minutes later. He was buried there and Fish is said to have helped the executioner position the electrodes on his body. His last words were reportedly, I don't even know why I'm here. According to one witness present, the two the, it took two jolts before Fish died, creating the rumour that the apparatus was short-circuited by the needles that Fish had inserted into his body. They were still there. Oh. Whether that was true or not, who really... Yeah, who's to, who's to say? Blech. At a meeting with reporters after the execution, Fisher's lawyer, James Dempsey, revealed that he was in possession of his client's final statement. This amounted to several pages of handwritten notes that Fish apparently penned in the hours just prior to his death. Mm. When pressed by the assembled journalists to reveal the document's contents, Dempsey just flat out refused, stating, I will never show it to anyone it was the most filthy string of obscenities that I have ever read. And that, ladies, gentlemen, and my beautiful people in between, is the story of Albert Fish. <laughs> just the way that you <laughs> finish that up. You were almost just like, what have I done? <laughs> okay, so I was the one that's like, yeah, I've gotten it too easy and I'm going to fuck you all up with a real horror story to snap you back into reality on what this podcast is really about. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do like (laughs) rainbows and unicorns next week because that was too much. Isn't someone scared of like comedy films? I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, in all seriousness, I think I'm, I'm not obsessed. I don't have a particular fear of anything so much in this in this story i mm. just wanted to uh i did i did want to give an example of just what humans are capable of yeah, and we've, right. we've done all these stories on these external things weather yeah, bugs everything is outside of, of you our know, control and I just wanted to remind everyone, but that, that, and maybe we don't really need to be reminded, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the other side of it. It's like, do, yeah, I need to remind you that it could be you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some not, pretty dark stuff. Be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed that. I think when you can, you know, just listen to it and, and, just yeah think about it at surface level if you think about it too hard and too much yeah it's going to be pretty pretty disturbing and depressing but I do find it fascinating so I really enjoyed that story and I thank you for going in hard and like yeah and finding just a messed up story yeah I love it yeah all done 
don't worry, next time I do a story, it, it will definitely not be as graphic as that. So I do appreciate everyone if you've made it this far. You did. But good. if you, yeah, on the flip side, if you enjoyed that sort of stuff, you know, we can always do more. We're, we're easy. We're open to things. Oh, we're I will. Pretty, I will definitely. Yeah. But uh, I think that was a good one. Just maybe because of the accounts. The, the written letters, I think, is you do not often find those sorts of materials so anyway absolutely glad you enjoyed thank Kate. you so much thank you for doing that oh i can't wait until next week i'm gonna tell a little story i won't spoil it just make sure you keep um subscribed and go on our socials and send us messages we love hearing from people so we will uh yeah talk to you really soon thanks dom you are most welcome thanks everyone see you thank next you. week bye 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.